Good morning, friends. Uh, good to see you all. How lovely. Uh, my name is Ben Connolly, and uh, I have the uh, great pleasure to introduce a guest speaker for today, Shelley Graff. <clears throat> uh, Shelley is a guiding teacher at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis. Uh, having practiced there for about 20 years and um, recently completed the Insight Meditation Society four-year teacher training program and has been um, leading retreats at IMS, I believe in Barrie, Mass, and uh, nationally as well. And, uh, you know, I could just say uh, I've known Shelly for quite some time and they... Uh, there, it's like hanging out with a steady beam of light. <laughs> so I had the great joy of uh, working with Shelley on the advisory committee for the recent uh, Minnesota Intersanga Ethics and Leadership Summit. And we had a lot of fun and helped bring a lot of people together to try and make more healthy communities. And that was uh, just a great opportunity to receive some wisdom from a dear friend. So uh, Shelley, thank you so much for being here today and I'll turn it over to you. Oh, thanks so much, Ben. And let me see if I can see all of you a bit better. There we go. Yeah, it's really nice to be here with you. Thanks for the invitation. I'm grateful to have these opportunities to, um, yeah, just to be together in the Dharma field. I realize that I know some of you and many of you I don't. So we're getting to know each other this morning as, as well as um, taking some time to receive and feel into the Dhamma together. So just, yeah, I'd like to speak a little bit about wise relating or spiritual friendship and see where the conversation goes. Yeah, I'll, I'll speak for probably about a, a half an hour or so and then open it up to more of a conversation so get ready <laughs> of course no pressure but it would be nice to it'd be nice to chat back and forth a little bit <clears throat> i should also say too that i'm i'm feeling really good but still recovering a bit from covid and so i might there might be some intermittent coughing and muting happening here so don't worry about me i'm really happy to be here it feels good to be here and this is just how the body is uh, working itself out right now hmm. i don't know about you but it has felt like a difficult week um, in minnesota especially with the um, killing of amir Locke, and also with the yeah, the shooting at outside of Richfield School, um, the death of Jamari Rice, and all the the lives that have been impacted um, in such a complex way, and not just by these two profound events, but also in so many other ways. And so I don't know about you, but in these moments when it feels yeah, it feels so normal to feel all kinds of things, 
from anger and heaviness, grief, despair, even, and confusion. It seems like the right moment for spiritual practice. Yeah. And not so much as a, a way of finding answers, but I think what we do well as uh, practitioners is learn how to live in the questions rather than think we have it all figured out. It's often been the case for me that as soon as that, that you know, that's it's actually a, 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 a thought to be suspicious of, like, ah, oh, I get this. <laughs> because endless amount of times <laughs> in the next moment, there's another thought like, hmm, that's not everything. <laughs> so perhaps we can have this sort of um, wise attitude about us as we feel into the questions together this morning and and be more curious about what it's like for us to be relational beings, to be um, friends on the path, to be friends in our lives and in our communities. And what that what that what the Buddha's teachings say to help us engage a little more skillfully. And there are many ways to describe this path, right? No matter what tradition you're a part of. And often, well, these, these days I've been really curious about describing the path in terms of relating in a relational way. The, you know, we can say it's a path of wisdom, a path of love, a path of renunciation even, a path of letting go. But perhaps, you know, we can also deeply look at what it means to be a path that lays out these strategies and ways to be in relationship. And at the heart of what we do, it seems, is just to, to clarify what it means to be in relationship, to be able to see that we are in relationship, right? Both as human beings, but also more subtly with our experience, with the body, with activity of mind, with emotions, you know, always pointing to what is it like to be in a relationship here? What is it like to be relating? How is it possible to relate wisely, deeply with compassion in this moment to this, whatever this is, this body pain, this heart pain, this moment of joy? And what seems to be true also is that it's a very integrated path. So as we look at each of the teachings, they're like threads that weave a beautiful cloth. The path is meant to be complete and practiced in an integrated way, right? So that we're not picking out one piece and just, it can be really useful to do that, like pick out, tug on one of the threads on one of the scriptures, one of the teachings and just really dive into it. But we don't want to lose sight of the whole cloth either right? So thinking about this way of relating wisely that includes both the integration of wisdom, the integration of intimacy, and the integration of wise ethics, and how we live and breathe and move with each other. There's a 
great new book that I'd highly recommend called Radical Friendship by Kate Johnson. Kate's a wonderful teacher. Um, teaches a lot in California at Spirit Rock Meditation Center. Let's see if I can find. And in this this book, she is um she really does a beautiful job of of integrating in a very profound way the teachings uh, on spiritual friendship and wise relating. And one of the the places where the Buddha talks about um, Friendship is in the Mitta Sutta. Mitta can often be translated as friendship. And here's what he says. I thought it would be nice just to begin with this so that we have a sense of, you know, the possibilities. <clears throat> the Buddha says, Monks, a friend endowed with seven qualities is worth associating with. Which seven? They give what is hard to give. They do what is hard to do. They endure what is hard to endure. They reveal their secrets to you. They keep your secrets. When misfortune strikes, they don't abandon you. When you're down and out, they don't look down on you. A friend endowed with these seven qualities is worth associating with. Should I read that again? <laughs> they give what is hard to give. They do what is hard to do. They endure what is hard to endure. They reveal their secrets to you. They keep your secrets. When misfortune strikes, they don't abandon you. And when you're down and out, they don't look down on you. A friend endowed with these seven qualities is worth associating with. And these seem like such um, important words for how to live as a friend, right? As a friend to ourselves, as a friend to the people we know, as a friend to people we don't know. And as I read these, as I've read and studied this sutta many times, I just keep coming back to like, wow, I want friends like that. And wow, I want to be a friend like that. And thirdly, wow, what a high bar. <laughs> What a high bar, right? To be the kind of friend that gives what is hard to give, does what is hard to do, endures what is hard to endure, reveals secrets, vulnerable, receives secrets, trustworthy, not to abandon anyone, throw anyone out of our hearts, and not to judge or look down on each other. I think these this teaching and these uh, relational practices can have far-reaching consequences for these times that we're living in. It seems clear more and more every day that that forgetting that um, human beings are vulnerable and the earth is vulnerable, that forgetting and living in in deluded ways, you know, it just doesn't it isn't sustainable. 
And so perhaps the question for us is how do we do what's hard to do? How do we practice in a way that we're not throwing each other out of our hearts? And yeah, so that we, we can participate in ways that feel really beneficial. Because what we learn also is that we can't avoid participation, right? Every moment of our lives is a moment of leaving behind a legacy. Whether or not we lock ourselves in a closet for seven years, <laughs> that's a kind of participation. Or whether or not we're wholeheartedly engaged in civic ways, we're very active, that's a kind of participation, right? Every time we choose to speak, every time we choose to not speak, those are all ways of participating. Every moment we step outside of our house, our foot touches the ground, leaves an impact on the earth, the earth will forever be changed by that moment, right? There's no avoiding that. So really looking at how we're relating and doing our best to clarify, to cultivate a wise and compassionate relating Right, so that it's possible to be the kind of friend that the Buddha spoke about is really important. And it's, it's because it's unavoidable that we're participating. Right? Every intentional movement, every thought, right? every intentional thought, every intentional word, it all leaves an impact. So yes, the stakes are high and yes, people are vulnerable and we are vulnerable. And it's unavoidable to be in relationship, to be participating day in and day out. So it's been a hard week, right? And our spiritual practice prepares us for this. Like, oh, what does this mean now? What am I going to do with this? It seems to be, even though, you know, it's been a hard week for me, I've experienced a lot of emotional ups and downs and questioning with a lot of you know, deep hearted questioning, you know, what is how what's a good use of my time? What's the most skillful thing to say or do to participate? It also has felt really uh, relieving to be on a path with people like you, who are also doing the same thing, right? And we can find ourselves in difficult places with this, right? Where we miss the mark, misunderstand something and forget that we're always participating. This is just what it's like to be human. And at times the continued progress that we're making, the continued efforts that we're making to be skillful and beneficial in our movements and our actions and words, might lead us to places where, you know, they're, that we're looking face to face with our unfinished business. And we might see that it's easier to blame or turn our backs on experience or ourselves or each other. We might see the protective habits of heart arise, you know, that shut down, dissociate, deny, right? These are the minds, the hearts, quick routes to happiness. There's no denying these either. 
right? These are just going to show up for us. This is what it means to be growing and learning. But it's in these moments where things are hard, when we're faced with difficulty, when we're faced with the heart that doesn't know how to be open when things are hard, that we learn something about courage. And we learn how to accept these movements of heart, whatever they are, on you know the full spectrum of open-hearted to shut down. We learn how to accept all of this as a part of our collective humanity. And in these moments, it feels for me like, oh yes, when I can notice this in my own heart, like wow, the heart, you know, it's just there's no access to feeling right now. There's no access to connection. This is not just it's not a personal thing. It's not a Shelley's problem. This is just a human heart that is doing what a human heart does. And the possibility in this moment or in these moments for us is placing a square in the middle of humanity, right? We can see ourselves reflected in each other like, oh yeah, this heart shuts down just like yours does. This heart denies experience just like yours does. This heart denies suffering just like yours does denies participation, find some loophole to absolve myself of responsibility, just like yours does. It's really not a personal problem. And understanding this impersonal nature of things then really, in my experience, has freed the heart up to, to engage, right, as a learner, not as someone who gets it, but as someone who's just going to keep learning. And I feel a responsibility as a spiritual being to just keep modeling this as a student. Like there's nothing, it could just bring tears to my eyes, but there's nothing I really care more about than just being a student. There's a beautiful, there's so many scriptures um, that in which the Buddha has something really important to say about friendship, wise relating, participating. And there's, I thought, I thought I would go through a few of them just to highlight some things that have been important in my ex experience. Let's see if I can find the reference here. There's this one scripture where the, and you might know these, uh, where the Buddhas, where some lay people have come to the Buddha. And it's very sweet. They're like, um, and this, you know, totally informal, the way I talk. So it's not, it's, I'm not quoting from the Buddha right here, <laughs> or the lay people. <laughs> but lay people just like us who come to the Buddha and they're like, hey, you know, we really like nice things. We like things that smell good. We like nice garlands. You know, is there something that you can help us? Can you teach us something that will help us in, in our lives too? And the Buddha responded by saying, well, sure. There are four things that lead to the welfare and happiness of a person. And of those four, admirable friendship is one of them. Kalyanamita. Admirable is one way to translate Kalyana, but it could also be translated as noble or um, well-being is one way. Well-being in relationship, well-being in friendship, right? noble friendship, spiritual friendship. 
admirable friendship, Kalyanamita. One of the four things, admirable friendship is one of them. So what is admirable friendship? Well, this is what the Buddha says. When a person resides in a town or village, and in that place there are householders or children who may be young or old, but who are mature in conduct, accomplished in faith, ethics, generosity, and wisdom, that person associates with them, converses and engages in discussion. They emulate the same kind of accomplishments in faith, ethics, generosity, and wisdom. This is called admirable friendship. And one of the things that I love is what the Buddha didn't say. He didn't say, oh, people, you know, you've really got it wrong. You cannot stake a claim and sense pleasures. It's just not the way to go. He didn't admonish them for that at all. But he spoke directly to them in a place that they could, you know, benefit. And he highlighted this, you know, the complete, the completeness of the path. People who are young or old, when a person resides in a town or village, and in that place there are householders or children, maybe young or old, age doesn't matter, who are mature in conduct, accomplished in faith, ethics, generosity, and wisdom. When there are people around us who exude something beneficial, then it's our job to pay attention, right? And that's going on all around us every day, right? There are people who are expressing some kind of maturity. And I also appreciate that, you know, the Buddha, it seems like he's saying, and this is, you know, obviously just my interpretation, but that even if you're not, even if you're not aspiring to the deepest freedom, right? Even if Nibbana is not in mind all the time. And I think it's important to keep Nibbana in mind. But even in moments when it's not in mind, right, that you're still headed in that direction if you're cultivating the path in these ways. There's going to be a lot of deepening for us if we practice learning from one another, if we practice recognizing what's useful, what's beneficial to emulate. And if we practice um, remembering that we are we are models for each other, this kind of friendship broadens us, helps us be better. Right. Another thing the Buddha didn't say he didn't say that uh, spiritual friendship is about being around all the people you like. He didn't say go out and find the people you like or the people who are just like you and stick with them. No, right? You said ethics, generosity. It's good. Look for it. Practice being in relationship. Participate with each other. Create healthy communities. <clears throat> I've worked in schools for a long time. This is many years ago. Um, I worked with these two. For, for a while, I worked at a school um, for kids who had been expelled from Minneapolis public schools. It was very small and um, really, for me, uh, very 
deeply relational. And I still see kids on the street that are probably now like 20 something or 30 easily. And I, I imagine them as little 12 year olds or 13 year olds. I'll see a, you know, somebody of that age or height on the street and I'll go, oh, wow, looks like so-and-so, or I wonder if it is. And then my mind will remind me how deluded that is because they're probably 30 years old now. But <laughs> there are these two, these two kids and they were really good friends, these two male-bodied students. And they didn't know each other before they got to this school. And they always wanted to be in the same, they would always ask me to make sure they were in the same class. They had a large group of friends. And even though it was a very small school, like 50 kids. But, and they didn't always want anybody else to know that they've asked me to put them in the same class. So they kind of come in private and ask me to keep their secret, right? But, you know, they would really, they would, they would really bring out the best of each other. They would compete on assignments. I would hear them saying things to each other like, I'm going to get, a, if I get a better grade on you than on this test, then you're going to give me a Snickers bar or, you know, they just, they just had this way of relating that was, and they were always uh, making fun of each other. I would often shake my head. I would round the corner at lunch or at passing time, they'd be huddled up in a, in a corner and they'd be just like going at it, roasting each other. And I thought a lot about these two kids and the way they've modeled what it means to be in relationship, right? Different circumstances, different people, kids who didn't know each other before they got here, but kids who were really trying to, they were trying to survive, right? They were trying to survive in a very difficult situation. They were trying to find ways to be the best that they could be. And they were relying, they needed each other. Yeah. And some of that capping on each other in the corner at lunchtime, I think was a way of just releasing some steam, right? They're yeah, releasing some steam, realizing how hard it is to survive and especially how hard it is to be uh, two young black men growing up in Minneapolis. But they maintained this sort of friendship over the three years that I had them or had the pleasure to know them. And another really popularly quoted Sutta, the Buddha's um, attendant and cousin Ananda comes to him with a, it makes a statement that I'm sure he felt really good about. And the, he said uh, that he told the Buddha that he thought spiritual friendship was half of the holy life. And the Buddha quickly admonished him and said, no, 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 don't say that. It's all of the holy life, right? And I often wonder, like, it's a big statement and a statement that I've tried to understand more and more fully as life goes on, as practice continues. Like, why did he say that? And it seems like, you know, it's what he's pointing to in the, in the scripture in which he is telling the lay people who like nice things that, you know, it's, it's a responsibility that we have to be in a relationship with each other. 
and that it's so we can learn so much right from each other here in relationship we can learn what it we can see we see so much right we can see our own discomfort we can see our own depth of compassion we can feel into our own courage right there's so much to learn it doesn't mean that there's not things that we do individually it doesn't mean that it's not our responsibility to cultivate a kind of sensitivity and intimacy intimacy of heart that allows us to be wise in relationship with each other Something else from Kate Johnson. I dropped my book and I lost the page. So let me see if give me one. About 10 seconds, see if I can find it. <laughs> well, I can't, but the point I think that was is useful to make is that this, that the, the wide reaching, uh, possibilities or consequences of learning how to be in relationship in the collective, right? Because living with a steady stream of in our face, learning that oppression exists in so many forms, right? Oppression is a way of separating, of, uh, of pitting people into these places where we feel like we're just trying to survive. And when we're just trying to survive, we tend to neglect being in relationship. We tend to neglect our friendships, right? I mean, perhaps you've gotten in this place yourselves where I certainly have, where I've gotten really busy or overly busy or uh, in in groups where it feels like there there's so much divisiveness that the work is just so ex extreme that the hurdles are so extreme to overcome. Right? It's because the oppressive forces are alive and well in every community, in every system, in every, in every heart. And so in moments when I can feel the kind of separation to just like ne neglect what is going to be beneficial, right? And forget to connect, to forget to le lean in, to forget to remember that I'm responsible in participation with my friends and community. Right, then it can be very, uh, it can be very damaging, right, and isolative. And we've all felt some of that isolation and loneliness in the pandemic as it as it continues on, probably more than we'd like to admit, right, more than we'd like to feel. And so this Buddhist statement about um, admirable friendship, noble friendship, being the whole of the holy life. It also seems like for me, it's pointing to the, the um, how important it is to just remember that we're always in relationship with each other, to not forget that important piece. Right? 
And there are all these places, I think, in the in the scriptures where the Buddha demonstrates what it's like to be in a relationship. And in fact, he calls himself, he puts himself in the mix here. He says that he's a spiritual friend. Right? And there are these all so many moments where the Buddha, somebody comes in to hear the teachings and the person needs something, needs something in terms of their own basic needs, needs some food, needs some clothing. And he makes sure that they have that and that there's a little bit of time to settle before teaching, right? Before asking them to receive the teachings. And so in these moments when it feels like things are so uh, divisive and our inclination is just to close down or pull away or neglect being in a relationship in some way to remember the wisdom of participation and to also to remember to take care of our own basic needs, right? And to see if we can nurture to take to um, apply some balm on the heart that feels lonely or isolated, right? Perhaps that is in relationship. I had a friend that just called me yesterday with just what she said was like, I don't, I feel in despair and I don't know what to do with it. Like, oh yeah, this is what we're here for. Wasn't anything that they needed from me except to just be there with them and witness something. And it was such a good reminder to not forget that, that this is a part of things for me and for them, for each, for each of us, to remember to, to do the work that is against the stream, right? To lean in, to connect, even when it feels hard to. I think I'll stop here actually and see what's in the room. Thanks for your kind attention so far, friends. And if I were at my home Sangha at Common Ground, I would say something like anything is welcome. Thoughts, reflections, half formed, unformed, disputes frustrations. It's all welcome because we're all showing up to be learners. And so just feel free to say what's on your heart, what's moving as you receive the words and the teachings. And if we all watch the participant list, we'll see when someone unmutes themselves and has something to say. Shelly, my name's Carrie. Thank you so much for giving this fantastic talk. Um, it meant a lot to me that you gave voice to a lot of the things that I've been feeling this week, um, you know, um, and, and speaking how to the heart and what the heart is ready for and may not be ready for, you know, how the mind also receives uh, very difficult information. And then my mind starts wondering, you know, how can I serve best? You know, how can I take my practice and put it into practice? And yet simultaneously, I, so I get stuck by the, the weight, the heaviness of it all, the magnitude of the problem, the where do I begin? Uh, we had a, a wonderful speaker last week who talked about like maybe just doing 
this taking one piece, a part of something and just doing that, right? Because sometimes I tend to think, well, I'm, I want to fix that. I want to, you know, gun violence and I want to fix the, you know, the whole system of racial injustice and inequalities. And yet that seems too big and overwhelming. And then my heart just shuts down. So I appreciate you bringing up this topic and, um, and, and spoke to participating, you know, participating with ourselves, participating with others in the best way that we can through our teachings. It's very supportive. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks for sharing. Hello, my name is Raul. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all that, Shelly. Really quickly, one thing that stood out to me uh, just reminded me of being uh, more aware of my movements in my daily life. Um, I found myself to be quite busy um, over the last month with some new endeavors. And I would just like to be more conscious of uh, my movements and uh, just breathing and taking a deep breath and relaxing, <laughs> just remembering to relax and uh, skillfully carry myself. Thank you. Thanks, Raul. Yeah. So many bits of wisdom that emerge in a room like this, right? Hi, Shelley. My name is Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi. Thank you for your talk. Um, two sort of phrases or words kept emerging for me as you spoke. One was being fully present and the other was acceptance. And it struck me that those are two sides of a coin, right? You can't be one without the other. Um, but I really appreciated the uh, breadth and depth to which you spoke to those, that being fully present and accepting of self as well as other and you can't be accepting of other without being accepting of self and, and vice versa. So the, the range over which you talked about friendship and relationship, I thought was um, for me really valuable and just wanted to thank you for that. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I see a hand. Let's see, Judy. This is Judy. Um, I related to what you said about community. Um, I, living on my own, um, normally I, I'm busy. With COVID, I've been much more isolated. And I find that uh, I'm kind of reluctant. I get kind of not happy, but content where I am and reluctant to go out and do to see people. And there are events that go on in my building and other things. And um, sometimes I push myself to go because you need to be with people, I say. And, uh, but I don't really want it. It's a lot of trouble. And I find I'm so glad I go there because it gives me contact with people which I need 
more than I realized, I think. <laughs> anyway, that's what I related to. I, <clears throat> and that's my experience that, that being with others is, is an important part that I need to be, keep on top of. Hmm. Thanks, Judy. It's very true. True for all of us. This is James. Hi, James. I, hello. I'm taking the I'm I'm taking the challenge to unmute myself and speak. Um, uh, the, the kind invitation from you, Shelley. I'm taking that kind invitation, and just um, Judy, who just spoke. I'm very much like that. Uh, it's it's a great effort for me to unmute myself and and say something and that's all I have to say thank you for leaning in hi this is Katie hey Katie um, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how to maintain community and relationship with people who are not mature in conduct? <laughs> Great question. Well, there's so many strategies. So in this, I, I love the conversational part of any Dharma offering because it, it's like we're weaving together something. So I'd be curious what else, what, you know, there, I'll, I'll have a few comments and I'd be curious about what others might say too. My partner um, often talks about uh, friends or, you know, a way of not throwing people out of our hearts is to have friends that are maybe in your next door neighbors and then in your, you know, maybe a little bit farther out, friends who are in your neighborhood and then perhaps maybe friends that aren't quite that close to you, but you keep them in the city with you and then friends that maybe are a little farther out in the suburbs and maybe a little farther out, right? So in order to not throw people out of our hearts, we might have to adjust how close we are to everyone, right? And, and while we're building up the skill to be close and more skillful with people, then, then our proximity might vary. Yeah. And so I, one of the things to remember is that, you know, we just have to continue to use our common sense. So if we're, if we're in a place where it feels not safe or in any way to be with people, then, then we have to see what is the most comfortable distance in which we can love them from. That's what's helped me. And then another thing to remember is that, you know, just like I was saying earlier that one of the when we can really delve into the question of how to participate one of the things we start to see is that we're reflected in each other and we i see myself reflected in in others others quite often and that is with the full scope of humanity in front of us right so it's hard it makes it harder and harder to hate when i see the roots of anger when i see the roots of ill will moving in this heart. It's really hard to condemn. I see that. Like, oh, wow. Human beings, including me, I make a mess of things. 
when I'm not really careful, when I'm not listening to what the heart needs, when I'm not giving it what it needs, right? And so in these really mysterious moments, when it feels like the intellectual mind might make a decision, well, hatred is the only way. You've probably seen this. I've seen this in my mind like, oh, must throw this person out of my heart. That's despicable, right? The intellectual mind makes this decision. But the action, in, in reality, the heart, when there's a capacity to connect with this universal, uh, with what it's like with the universal humanity among us, within my heart, all around us, uh, I've been amazed again and again and again that generosity, for example, shows up on the backside of despair or that com compassion for someone who's murdered shows up when I didn't expect it to be there, right? So this capacity to be in re full relationship with our own hearts and to say yes, 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 to train the heart, to train in this willingness to meet all of life that's flowing right here, right? And to see that I'm not so different. We're actually, we have may have very different lived experiences, but the movement of life is very similar, right? The movement of anger, the movement of love, the movement of fear, right? The movement of delusion, the heart that, how many times have I millions and have we seen deluded have we chased delusion like oh this is and then kidding you know kidding ourselves like oh this is skillful and then only later to go like oh wow that was really really unskillful right i can't believe i convinced myself that it was wise to say that really mean thing to my partner right for example so we can have a lot of reverence for the force of humanity among us a lot of reverence and for the possibility of acting unskillfully when we get swept away by the forces of greed, of ill will, of delusion, right? And they're within every human being, every human being in a Dharma community, every human being outside of a Dharma community, right? Just because we're practicing Dharma doesn't mean that we are, we're there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah. So it's just really, it's been, you know, a really deep and meaningful practice to, to continue to remember this very humbling and really real. But I'd be curious what anyone else has to offer. Elia, I'm, I'm Christine. Um, I really appreciate what you're saying. I think a lot of Thich Nhat Hanh's poem about being the pirate and and the girl, and that we 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 all carry all that possibility, and and that I think when we get scared, it's really easy to convince ourselves that we're different, you know, and and that other people are beyond the pale somehow. Um, but I wanted to share, I, I got a call from an old, on this question of how do we connect with people. Um, I got a call from a, a college friend yesterday who was concerned about a third friend who's lost both of her parents in the past year and our mutual friends had 
she's kind of going off the deep end. Like I, I can't talk to her. Just trying to have a conversation with her. She's just, I know she's had major losses, but I just couldn't talk to her. And so she said, I was thinking, would you be willing? I was thinking maybe we could connect with her in a heart way. And I was wondering if you'd be up for us doing dance parties, you know, like we're all across the country, but just like three songs a week and we each pick one and we dance for 15 minutes every week together. Um, and I was like, that's a brilliant idea. So she wrote to both of us and we were, I have to get off in a few minutes to go to this little dance party. But to me, it was just my friend saying, I think we just need to connect in a heart way because there's no way she's going to change her mind where she is right now in the pandemic. You know, she's just kind of gone to this this place that we couldn't connect, but finding places where we can connect. Um, this is so powerful to me. So I thought I'd share that, whatever it's worth. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. I love the strategies, right? It's so many. How do we do this? How do we do this? So much better to just live into the question and to see the, the movement, the response come forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we live into the question, like, how do we do this? How do we get, we get closer to understanding what the Buddha meant in the Mitta Sutta, that we don't abandon what it, what it means to be a friend, not just to people we know or people we clearly like, right? But to everyone, we can start to see like, oh, every, we all have, we have needs. We're, we're somebody's important person. And so it makes it, it makes it harder to abandon. It makes it harder to abandon anyone for any reason. The full scope of humanity is moving in every being. Well, perhaps we'll leave it here this morning. Again, thanks for letting me crash your party. <laughs> it's nice to be together today.